The objective, to deliver the NBA to you like no other. News, play breakdowns, power rankings, storylines you never hear talked about anywhere else. It's all straight shots here. Fired by straight shooters. S and gun. This is the Objective Basketball Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Objective Basketball Podcast. S here, Lauren, joining me as always. Lauren, how was your weekend? It was wonderful. My six pick parlay on uh, the Nuggets uh lakers game hit so that was a good little that was a good little boost and i'm enjoying the 3-0 leads it's i'm enjoying them let's just say that well you know what since we're here i am glad you mentioned parlays because it is the playoffs ladies and gentlemen get in the game make your next bet with sports interaction bet before the game or live in play on all your favorite teams matchups head to sportsinteraction.com slash sdpn or download the app to get started 19 plus please play responsibly and you mentioned 3-0 leads we are in a conference finals battle that is consisting of 3.30 leads um look last night the miami heat absolutely obliterated the boston celtics in miami uh it felt like they were up by a million points uh (laughs) i mean at one point it, it really was that way and you know it felt like the biggest collapse we've seen since the Miami Heat did something similar to the Bucks a couple of rounds ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I I find it interesting that there's a lot of ways that we can tackle this discussion around the Boston Celtics. What will happen? Obviously, for the people who may not know, no team in the NBA has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit, ever. In any playoff round, in any playoff series, there has never been a comeback from a 3-0 deficit. And now... The Celtics are down 3-0 and the Lakers are down 3-0, which means that in all likelihood, in the the most likely outcome here, I would say 99% chance, maybe more, 99.99% chance, is that we will have a Denver Nuggets versus Miami Heat NBA Finals. We will be previewing that once these two series are over, but I think we have enough here to talk about what the hell went wrong with the Boston Celtics how this thing collapsed, how this thing ended up being as look as bad as it did. Because in my opinion, I I thought this would be a competitive series regardless, Lauren. I really thought that, you know, given Miami, the way that they've looked throughout these playoffs, Spo being the adjuster that he is, Jimmy looking incredible, bam, I'm writing about him today. You'll, You'll see that on SDPN a couple hours from now. I really did think that Miami would be able to put up a good fight. Mm hmm. But I ultimately thought the Celtics' offensive firepower was just too much to deal with. It hasn't been the case. Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum have struggled immensely in this series. I think credit to Miami's you know, defensive structure, the way they're aggressively helping, the way they're trying to cause turnovers, get out in transition. A lot of that is important. But I guess from your perspective, like, what, what string do you pull first from this collapse of the Celtics like what what angle do you think is the most hey let's talk about this you know yeah um well because it can also be tied to the offseason I I kind of want to look at 
the two the two leaders, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, because yeah. as we've watched this series and we have talked about Miami and the things that like, I mean, you just mentioned, but also like the guys like Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, these guys that have been stepping up and really just playing well in their role on a night to night basis, allowing Miami to be in there. When you're looking at Boston, I keep going back and forth on is this more of the Celtics dropping this so significantly or are we not giving enough credit to the Miami Heat but focusing on the Celtics I do I mean I know coach Joe Missoula is getting a lot of a lot of slack right or flack right now but um I do think that you do have to hold your two stars accountable when you get dis when your team just gets dismantled the way that they have in this series and so given kind of the direction that things could take this offseason I do think there should be a big discussion about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And you kind of have had two two back-to-back performances in the playoffs, back-to-back years that have been disappointing. So where does that leave you moving forward? It's interesting because like Tatum and Brown both have a plethora of playoff experience. It's crazy because they're young. They're still young players. Mm-hmm. But because they've been on good teams for virtually all of their careers, they've had an ample amount of experience in the playoffs. None of this can be attributed to, oh, they are not built for the moment. They are not ready for the moment. They These they these two have been preparing for a very long time. I mean, they made it to the NBA Finals last year. A lot of times when you think about, and, and this applies to the Nuggets, this applies to a lot of pe- future and past NBA champions, NBA finalists, you have to sort of take your bumps in the playoffs. You have to lose a couple times mm-hmm. in order to get over the hump. That right. happened to the Bucks a couple of years ago. You know, they lost to Toronto. They lost it to Miami. And then they ended up going to the NBA Finals and winning it all. I know as a person who's covered the Raptors, you know, they had to take their bumps in the playoffs. And yes, there's trades and things that happen to improve the roster. But overall, like, you need to learn how to fail in the playoffs. And Absolutely. I don't want to bring I don't want to bring up the failure point here because it's like, hey, anybody, a little anybody sensitive talk, subject? Apparently in the NBA. Did you use that word? Apparently in the NBA, it's a very sensitive subject. But no, I, I think yeah. you have to take your bumps in the playoffs. The Celtics have taken their bumps. They have they have bumped all around. They they have lost in the conference semis, they have lost in the conference finals, twice to the Miami Heat now after this series. And they obviously made it to the NBA Finals, losing to the Warriors. I, I just think there is a level. So I, I look at this from both sides where it's like, yes, you can say, how many more times are we going to run it back with this core? How mm-hmm. many more times are we going to believe that this is enough to get there? And then on the other side, it's like, these two guys are good enough to win an NBA championship together. And mm-hmm. I'm of the opinion that it doesn't really, like, there's no... A lot of people say that they don't work well together, that they don't their their styles are contradictory or or the fact that they play similar positions, et cetera, et cetera, it makes it harder. Or the fact that they have similar skill sets, right? None of them is are elite playmakers. None of them are great passers. Uh defensively, they're both, you know, pretty good, but like they they have their lapses. Mm-hmm. I they they're they're both jump shot reliant at times as well. So I can understand that from an overlap perspective. But at the same time, I wouldn't break up a core just because of that. I think it's about figuring out how you're going to retool around these two. Uh, And you mentioned the the offseason side of things. Uh, Mark Stein mentioned this in his report today that Jalen Brown is super max eligible. Jason Tatum is also super max eligible. And combined, once they sign their extensions, they would be making $600 million. (laughs) $600 million. That is Um, insane. It's insane. It is. And I think 
you know, personally me, I have never been, I'm not the highest on Jalen Brown uh, as, as a, as a player in general. I think he's a very, very good player. He can be a secondary star. He can be maybe even a tertiary star. He's a great scorer. He's a great release valve. He's athletic. He can do some of the things that you can expect. I don't think of him as a number one option on a, on a championship level team. I, I also am wary of calling him a one B, you know, like mm-hmm, how yeah. he is in Boston right now. I just think that there are ways that you can work around this roster to make it better. Um, they have, they have things that they can move around. Maybe it's about switching out Al Horford for someone else and, and finding some, something else there. They brought in Malcolm Brogdon to be that pacemaker, that guy who can be that floor general. He's been good six man of the year, but it hasn't been enough there. Right. Uh, and I think their guard rotation of Marcus Smart and you know Malcolm Brogdon and Derek White, it still leaves a little bit to be desired on the playmaking front. Even right. though Marcus Smart has improved, Brogdon has improved. Um, I don't know what the way out here is, but I wouldn't say breaking them up is the way to go. Yeah, I I share that same sentiment because I I think of and I'm kind of with you on the Jalen Brown one B versus number two. I kind of lean more number two, and, and maybe that has more to do with how the Celtics are structured and the dominance of Jason Tatum than it does Jalen Brown. We haven't seen him in another system, so we don't we don't fully know. Um, but when when I'm looking at this duo, on one hand, I kind of try to think about the functionality of it with Kawhi and PG. It's like, oh, you've got these two other guys that can handle the ball, two-way players, but yet, and granted, one duo has been around a lot longer than the other, but it's like we don't even really compare the two. And and it's kind of- problems, though. Yes, yes. And so I think it's it's interesting how when you talk about roster construction around two kind of six, seven, six, eight versatile duo, like a duo like that, um, I would be interested to see where they go because I'm with you. I think kind of having the two-way guard rotation of Brogdon, White, and, and Smart, you do kind of need more playmaking, someone that can like slow the pace down. And that can just be a veteran guy. It doesn't need to, you don't need to go out and get someone crazy. But I, I think that looking at the Al Horford, Robert Williams, kind of that is where that they, they can maybe significantly improve mm-hmm. because Al has been really phenomenal at times. Robert Williams has been really great at times. But this group... Like you mentioned, sixth man of the year, Marcus Smart, incredible defensive player, Derek White, incredible defensive player. And then you have these two. So it's like, what's happening? How is this yeah. not happening? And so how is it, how is it not working? Right? Exactly. And yeah. so I think if you're looking at that starting lineup, um, it's either got to be you got to have more identity with the bigs or with the guards, because if you're not going to move on from Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which I don't think anyone thinks that they will. Maybe Jay. I mean, there's the questions with Jalen Brown, but I don't see that blowing up right now. Um, and so you, to me, it's gotta be the playmaking or, or the big. And I think as of right now, the more likely is the playmaking. Yeah. Look, I know people will be jumping at the chance to blame Joe Missoula mm-hmm. and I don't think he's a perfect coach. I don't think, I think, I think there are very clear warts to what he does. The not using timeouts when uh, the opposing team is on a run, you know, the the fact that his adjustments might be a step late, et cetera, et cetera. I think those are very, very clear demarcate. Like they're very it's it's a very clear. How am I wording this incorrectly? It's very clear that he's a rookie head coach. It's very clear that he's still learning on the job. He's still learning on the fly. Uh, we had that quote from Marcus Smart a couple of weeks ago where he's like, oh, I'm proud that Joe is doing this. He's figuring this out. I'm happy for him. And that quote got kind of like pulled into a million different directions. But mm-hmm. I think to his point, 
he's still learning. He's still figuring it out. I understand the Celtics are in a, in a position where they can afford to have a coach who's still trying to figure things out. I get that from a Celtics fan per perspective, but this loss last night can't be blamed on Joe Missoula. Uh, and I know Missoula did it. Look, he, he said in his post-game press conference, he said, yeah, that's where I have to be better, figure out where this team needs to make sure they're connected, they're physical, they're together on the floor. And then he consistently said after every question, it's on me, it's on me, it's on me. I appreciate that type of accountability from a coach. Right. I think his players probably appreciate that type of accountability from him as well. But I don't think he was the reason last night. He obviously has made adjustments throughout the series, uh, you know, moving, uh, changing the starting lineup, moving Derek White in instead, going a little bit smaller. Uh, he made the adjustments in the Philly series as well. I think they've done different things to try and make it harder on Miami, but it's been to no avail. And I think a lot of that goes back to the execution of the players. It's guys who aren't in tune with each other. Like he said, I didn't get them connected. I think that's such a huge telling piece. It's like, this team lacks the cohesion yeah. that the Miami Heat do. And the Miami Heat, on the other hand, are one of the most cohesive groups we've seen uh, of this last generation. Maybe the most cohesive group. The fact that they can kind of rally together, be so connected defensively, be on the same page defensively with the amount of things that they want to do. They switch a lot. They they switch from man-to-man -man and zone a lot. They they do like different defensive coverages depending on where the angle of the screen is from. So like the, the heat are going to throw so many different things at you. And that's why they're in the position. They are to be one win away from the NBA finals. They were flexible when it came to the Milwaukee bucks. They made it hard on them against New York in a muddy series that felt like it was a grind. They <laughs> found a way to grind out games. And then in this series, they're really using Boston's, dependence on the three-point line to their advantage. Eric Spolstra will find, and I don't want to attribute too much to coaching because, yeah, the guys at the end of the day have to execute. That goes right. for Joe Mazzulla. That goes for Eric Spolstra. But Spo is getting these guys to pick out one of the fatal flaws of a team and then increase it to the umpteenth degree. It, they, right. are, they are really turning up the notch on how bad of a flaw or a crutch that is. For the Celtics, I wrote it in the preview. It's been this way all season, but they are so heavily reliant on the three-point shot. They make threes, they are a good team. They don't make threes, they are a bad team. It really is that easy for them sometimes. And the Heat have done a great job of limiting their three-point opportunities. They're walling off the paint. Bam Adebayo has done a great job of doing this. Jimmy Butler has done a great job of doing this. They wall off the paint. It stops Miami's dribble penetration. It, it stops the driving kick. And now this way, Boston can't generate open looks. Mm -hmm. That is the way that Miami is beating this team right now and beating them handedly. Yeah. So I just, I think this is more a credit to how good Miami has been and how, how cohesive they are as a group defensively yeah. than it is Boston. But I mean, it's fair to be worried and be concerned if you're, if you're a Celtics fan, because this is like, this is this is troublesome yeah yeah and i i wanted to say real quick and i kind of started to hint at it earlier but going into this series i severely underestimated the impact of caleb martin and what he has been for them this series because going into it one of my biggest questions is how is miami going to handle the depth and then just the firepower at the top of the roster how are they going to match up and kind of try and slow down jason tatum and jalen brown 
Um, and I'm like, okay, yeah, you've got Jimmy Butler and Caleb Martin, and you've got guys that I mean, even Bam and his kind of help protection. You've yeah. got guys that are are good and are functional, but the way that they have been able to um, manipulate, like you said, how they've been able to manipulate from a defensive perspective uh, has been really, really impressive. So I think that they do deserve quite a bit of credit there. Yeah, and we'll see what happens because. Yeah, again, like I'm not trying to write off. I it's over though. Like realistically, it, 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 I would it is say over. if they were close and it looked because Reggie Miller said something, and I can't believe I'm bringing this up right now, but <laughs> Reggie Miller said that the only person on the Boston Celtics that has shown anything is Grant Williams when he tried to get in Jimmy Butler's face, and that he hasn't really seen much of anything in terms of competitiveness, uh, just fire from the Celtics. Yeah. Like, where are they? And as crazy as it sounds, I agree with that. I, I agree that, okay, like when you're looking at the body language, the facial, the facial expressions, you're kind of just like, is anybody going to bounce back? You've got tons of veterans over there and it just, uh, you're waiting for like the swing, you're waiting for the yeah. dominant run and it just never comes. And so mm-hmm. I, that's why I, I think it's over. Um, I mean, yeah, it's 3-0, but like if there was anything to hang your hat on, maybe, uh, but I'm just, I haven't seen it. No, there there really hasn't been much. Uh, there really hasn't been much to hang your hat on if you're a Celtics fan. You have to look to see how you improve. And and like we mentioned off the top, I really do think it's about running it back. Uh, I don't I don't think you can. This season has been weird, man. It really has been weird. The parity that we've seen throughout the league is showing its face. Um, and I I think it's just it's funny to me that the Celtics and the Bucks are now in a position where they have to do some self-reflection. And both of those teams were the two best teams in the NBA in the regular season. They, they looked like far and away, like these guys are surefire championship contenders. These are the ones that like everybody has to go up against. And yet both teams will have to do a, a, a considerable amount of self-reflection. And I don't know if that means overhauling things. I think mm-hmm. the Bucks obviously had, more of a reason to let go of coach bud it had been a while it had been a minute before you know they, they kind of things were brewing that way anyways it was going that direction and milwaukee has tons of questions that they have to answer in the offseason as well chris middleton is a free agent brooke lopez is a free agent they have you know this aging roster around Giannis, so they have to address their 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 flaws as well but i think with boston they're in a very peculiar situation where it's like they have tried this formula so many times uh, and they have not gotten to the place where they've wanted to. And now you have to do some self-reflection in, in a more molecular way. You have mm-hmm. to be like, hey, is Brown and Tatum what we want to build from? And on top of that, let's say we do want to split it up. What is the way to split this up to continue being a contender? Because right. the question here is, okay, so let's say, yeah, obviously Brown is the odd man out here. I think that yeah. is very clear. Um. Let's say they say, okay, we want to trade Jalen Brown. Where? To what? Does does Jalen Brown for Pascal Siakam make them any better? I would say not really. Maybe it's a it maybe it's a, a nicer fit, but no, I don't think it makes them any better than what they are positioned to be right now. Um, do you agree? But, I feel like, I No, I don't, agree. but I'm sitting here thinking about this now because at first I was like, Yeah, who are they gonna go trade for? But now I'm like Damian Lillard. Trade yeah, right. Well, okay, yeah, sure. So let's say, so let's say Dame, okay. And I okay. think, I think Dame is interesting because, like, the Blazers have stressed this a million and one times that they would rather pair Dame with Jalen Brown in Portland than they would, you know, the right. other way around. Hundred uh, percent. So I, I don't know. I, I agree that Dame would be an an excellent fit against, you know, with Boston and with Tatum. But it's just like, 
hey, how do you how do you get that to happen? I don't know. I, I think I, I don't just real quick, I will yeah. say real quick on this because I'm with you. I think obviously Portland would rather do that, but I think that there's a real argument to be had of would you rather have a core of Anthony Simons, Shaden Sharp, Scoot Brandon Anderson. Miller, or yeah, Scoot right, yeah. and Jalen Brown, or would you rather have? You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I do think I wonder how big that conversation will be this this offseason. Yeah. And and like from Dame's perspective, maybe this is the chance to maybe. Be, yeah, maybe. Maybe know. he says, you know what? This is my opportunity. This is the team. This is the situation that I think I'd like that I'm OK with going to. Right. But that's a that's a big if so on a on a smaller scale, uh, I would be interested if the Celtics decided going for a guy like Chris Paul. I know it's it's wild, but like. Hey, you need that type of floor general, you know, managing the clock, managing possessions type. And while Chris Paul is far from what he has been, you know, in past years, and obviously he's been an MVP candidate before in his life, I I just think maybe that's the type of guy you need. Um, and it's hard to find those guys. It, mm -hmm. There are there's not that many players in the NBA that can do similar things to a Chris Paul, a Kyle Lowry. You know, to a lesser extent, it's like a Tyus Jones. Like yeah. go, that's the type of point guard they need. That's the type of game manager I think I would look for if I was the Celtics. But what's out there? How to get that? And is breaking up Brown and Tatum the answer to that? I'm not sure. Money wise, right. it'll get it'll get very hard. Yeah, that's gonna yeah. be the tricky part. I, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Boston offseason. We obviously have tons of time to talk about that. Miami is going to be very, very interesting as well going into the finals. I mean, as the eight seed, first time since 1999. Um, it's party like it's 1999. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's it's going to be a, a crazy, crazy couple of weeks. And I know there will be a lot of deliberation and conversation about the Celtics. So I want to talk about the the other side of this, the other 3-0 which is the Lakers and Nuggets. Nuggets mm -hmm. are going to most likely be heading to their first NBA finals in franchise history, uh, which is fitting because hey, Carmelo Anthony is going to be retiring as well. We'll get into that in a little bit, but um, yeah. So, so the Nuggets are, are going to be headed to the finals most likely against the heat. Again, we'll preview that series later on this week, but from the Lakers perspective, I think you can look at this and say that, Hey, this season was a whirlwind. This is sort of opposite to the Celtics, if you think about it. Yeah. Like the Celtics, they had a great season, you know, a lot of, like, they did show their fatal flaws throughout the season, and there were stretches that Boston had where I sort of questioned how much of a contender they were. Like, they lost two home games against the Magic when both teams were fully healthy, and I was like, why <laughs> did that happen? Or Orlando's a fun team, and they pose as a matchup problem, but, like, a championship contender shouldn't be doing that. Right. So I, that, that was something that jumped out to me in the regular season to make me think like, ah, I'm not sure how good this team really is. And then in the playoffs, they show you, oh, they play with their food against the Atlanta Hawks. They forced, you know, the Hawks forced them to six games. Oh, they played with their food against the Sixers. The Sixers forced them to seven games. And now, you know, with uh, facing a team that doesn't let people play with their food uh, the, in the Miami Heat, he took care of business. They're not yeah. going to let you sit and relax. That's what the Miami Heat won't let you do. Um, so let's talk about the Lakers, which is the opposite side of that, which is they started out the season two and 10. They fought to stay near 500, even with Russell Westbrook, even with those other guys. They fought to stay at 500. 
it, they convinced front office to essentially go all all in, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still have some assets, so it's not technically all in. But now they have this rejuvenated core. You know, obviously Austin Reeves has shown to be a third cog to what this Lakers team is. He's been incredibly important. And I expect even Mark Stein reported it today that like it is all but certain that Austin Reeves will be returning to the Lakers this season. He's going to be re-signed. He's going to get that contract extension. There's no question about it. And then on the other side of things, um, when it comes to how they approach this offseason with the amount of guys that they have to deal with. So Jared Vanderbilt is a team option. Uh, Actually, no, Jared Vanderbilt is is locked in for one more year. Uh, Malik Beasley is a team option. D'Angelo Russell is a free agent. Rui Hachimura is a restricted free agent. Austin Reeves is a free agent. So they have a lot of decisions to make. But... I think they're in a much better position than they were going into the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. I guess the only question that I have is like, do you go for that star? Do you go, do you, do you figure out a way? Do you, I mean, they have their 2029 first round pick, mm-hmm. but do they go star hunting or do they refine this roster even more around Reeves, Braun and AD and try to go from there? Is Reeves their third star essentially <laughs> is what I'm saying. Um, it's a good question. I am not 100% sold on Reeves yet. I know there are a lot of people that have that confidence in him. I am personally not there yet. I'm not saying I can't be, but right now, no. Um, so it's hard for me to envision that they're completely content with him being this quote unquote third star, but the path to go get a third star and bring in Austin Reeves or bring, I should say, bring back Austin Reeves is very challenging and so I see them I see the more likely scenario being them um refine the roster like you mentioned they have the the uh 2029 pick but they also have a first round pick in 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 this draft um so I think that they have pathways and they have options to to better refine the roster and they've got they've seen enough I think from Rui from Jared Vanderbilt from some of these guys I think D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley that could get a little bit interesting on you know if they want to bring them back how they want to go about that that could get interesting, but I think both of those guys, I would say Malik more than D'Lo, both of those guys are replaceable. I would bring back Malik Beasley, but at that dollar amount, I don't know if they view that as worth it. But when you're talking about star hunting or going for making the Kyrie play, obviously I have a little bit of bias there, but I, I do think it would be very challenging for them to be to financially, Austin Reeves and Kyrie Irving, that is very difficult. And then also moving off of, uh, Rui Hachimura just to make the space for Kyrie and then to sign uh, Austin Reeves with the bird rights. That's that's a lot of money and that's that's just challenging overall. And so I'm not sure that that's necessarily the path for them. It was also reported that the Mavs, um, or it was a rumor, but the Mavs and Kyrie supposedly have this handshake deal on a max contract. So that comes into play with what the Lakers want to do. I feel like the answer for them move how forward. Trust, how much are we trusting a handshake with Kyrie? He probably a fingers crossed behind him. Type <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. Exactly. I think that you can never be too sure. You can never be certain, but like I've said from the time the Kyrie trade happened, I think Kyrie knows that he can pretty much get whatever deal he wants from Dallas. Um, so I anticipate him getting that, but I think with the Lakers, there will be options for them, especially with the performance that they've had this postseason and how they've turned the season around. I think there will be enough guys out there 
in the MLE kind of range, even on the vet minimum range, who are going to be willing to come in, like take Lonnie Walker, for an example. Lonnie Walker has been solid and he left, took a big pay cut to come in, even though he's still young, he's still intriguing to come play for the Lakers. So I think they'll have options there and that will be ultimately their best path forward. So there's a couple of ways to tackle this. And I love the way you did it. I I think you have to look at obviously the top of the roster with AD and LeBron and say, okay, can they replicate what they have been able to do throughout the season and throughout the postseason? AD has been phenomenal. He's looked like a defensive player of the year candidate. He best defense he's ever played in his career. His offense is wavered. Yes. Alternating days. Everybody makes the jokes. I know, but I think you have to find ways to make life easier on those two in the regular season so that they can be at their best in the postseason. They tried to do that with Russell Westbrook because Russell Westbrook is a guy who can get you to regular season wins. It's just that it didn't mesh, um, Mm -hmm. you know, on the court, whether it was spacing, whether it was passing ideology, all that stuff. It just, it didn't make sense court on the, uh, just schematically, right? Mm -hmm. You going out and saying, okay, AD is our guy. This is the guy we're building around. And LeBron James this postseason has also sort of looked human. Like there, he's had great performances. He had that game six performance against the Warriors that, you know, finished them off. He was really, really great against the Grizzlies as well in a couple of games. But there have been games where he's looked human, where he's mm-hmm. looked like a 38-year-old man playing in his 20th year of basketball. Um, and I think finding ways to make it easier on LeBron. Austin Reeves is one of those ways. He's a guy who can handle some of the ball ball handling pressure, some of the playmaking pressure. They're probably going to put the ball in his hands even more next season once he's re-signed. And I think that's, that's a solution right there because Mm -hmm. you're, you're making it so that LeBron's, you know, task in the regular season is a little bit less. His load is a little bit less in the regular season and he can move forward. The other side of this, like in the back of my brain is LeBron is playing through a foot injury. Like, yes, he's had, he's, he's struggled a little bit in these playoffs. He looked, he's looked human in these playoffs, but also how much of that is the foot? How much is that is essentially three doctors telling him you have to get foot surgery and him saying, nah, I'm playing anyways. (laughs) Like, what is the impact of that type of injury? So maybe he isn't as, you know, quote unquote washed as, as he (laughs) might look in a couple days. So I, I guess, I guess my question is like, how much do you still believe in LeBron and AD? to be that core of a championship team, especially at their age, especially with the mileage that they have. And then on top of that, for the Lakers, how do you address that in the regular season to make it easier on them? Resigning Reeves, like you mentioned, they probably resign Hachimura as well. Okay, now that's a nucleus. You have Malik Beasley. I imagine Jared Vanderbilt on his deal also stays. Mm-hmm. But you have to figure out another way to work this out. And maybe D'Lo is the answer here. He's had some good series, like games in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's brought them back into games. Uh, I remember, I think it was game four or game three against the Warriors, where he essentially just brought them back and won the game for them. So he's been important. His shot making is super important to them. But can you find that elsewhere? Can you find that in a more consistent source? Obviously, people are going to bring up Kyrie, and I, I don't think that ends up happening. Mm-hmm. But where else can you get that from? How else can you can you find uh, you know that source of offense that can keep you going in the regular season? 
I think that's where the Lakers questions lie. Do you, where do you see that? Change? Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I, it, it's difficult because you can't really compare LeBron James and the aging with any other scenario or any other player in history, at least in my opinion, and kind of what to expect from season to season, but you have to kind of expect that he's going to gradually continue to take steps back, whether it be availability, performance, consistency, whatever. Um, but at the same time, I think that from the Lakers standpoint you have to have full faith as long as lebron james says he wants to be there you have to have full faith that that two that duo that core is enough to get you there and and keep you in contention status um so i think the key for them will kind of be looking around the league at maybe scenarios that have played kind of played out uh whether it be you i mean looking at some of the contracts that they're going to have and some of the guys that could become available it's great this is gonna sound maybe a little bit crazy but to me it seems like whenever the Lakers end up negotiating, they get some sort of league-wide discount that everyone else is just mm -hmm. not privy to. So I'm not going to be surprised if some veteran who is just their situation has run its course, whether it be in Chicago, all of a sudden comes available and all of a yeah. sudden the Lakers are in play for that player, whether it be like a DeMar DeRozan or, or, or any of these big name guys. Again, that's a lot of money that you're going to have to come up with. But I think that there are going to be tons of situations, whether it be approaching the trade deadline um, or during the offseason via trade with that first round pick that they have this year, going out and finding the veteran offensive minded contributor is going to be ultimately what I think is their path forward. Not as much in free agency. I don't think that going out while I think that they can get guys to refine the roster. I think getting that guy that's going to help them throughout the regular season is not going to come in free agency. Yeah, I agree. I, I think uh, you actually brought up a good point with Chicago. Like, it, if you're Chicago, would you take uh, D'Lo plus the 2029 first round pick, which is the one the Lakers have, plus their pick this year because they still have their pick? Mm -hmm. And hey, give us Zach Levine, give us a Demar, one of the. I mean, yeah, I think one of those. I think uh, the D'Lo, the D'Lo with him, he's with him being expiring. That's it's kind of difficult, but I do think that like the timing of how all that will work with draft night and the Stepion rule, I'm not a hundred percent sure how that will work out, but they've got guys that are, um, that are on these somewhat sizable deals where they can put the money together to get yeah. closer to DeMar more than the, more than Zach. Zach's going to be a little bit difficult, but if, again, yeah. you bring, uh, you bring Malik Beasley back. There's then that little time frame with the recently signed all that, but you can get to the trade deadline. And if all of a sudden Chicago is like, you know what we tried, not working then i absolutely think both of those players could be in play for the lakers we'll see we will see uh it's gonna be a very i mean like i've i've kind of beat the same drum a every time we've we've talked about a team that's about to get eliminated but it's going to be a very interesting offseason because there's not that many great free agents um right. the free agency class is is pretty lackluster um i i doubt that there's anything you know drastic that happens with the class as well like any shocking signings especially with the teams that do have money like the the teams that have money are houston and san antonio and detroit and indiana like the, i very much so doubt that those teams are going to make big splashes maybe houston does maybe houston does with james harden and the news that he might be getting 200 million dollars in four years that's pretty crazy but hey maybe houston does make a big splash and turn into a, a playoff contender but i doubt that there's going to be too much crazy noise around free agents free agency this year which makes me think that there's going to be a lot of trades 
Absolutely. Um, and especially with the new CBA coming in, the way teams manage that, it'll be very, very interesting how the Lakers, who are a team that's like hovering near tax territory, is going to approach that. And how the Celtics, who are also a team that, hey, has to deal with the Supermax stuff with Brown and Tatum, how they're going to approach that. Keep I, I've, I've beat this drum a bunch of times with the Suns and with the Bucks and everybody else who's been eliminated. It is going to get increasingly hard to keep these expensive guys on your roster. Um, it's hard to have three of them. And I think in the Lakers situation, when you add Reeves's contract, now you have Reeves, LeBron and AD, and that's your trio. Like that is the three that you were building around. So it'll be interesting. I, I don't know what'll happen, but it, who knows toss up, mm -hmm. but it seems like the Celtics and Lakers are both headed towards elimination as the inside the NBA TNT crew says they are going fishing. Um, <laughs> and that's that, yeah, that's, that's it for them. Some side stories, some side news, just some things that we can talk about before this all um, we wrap up this podcast. Carmelo Anthony has announced retirement after a 19 season career. Carmelo is uh, look, a lot of people will bring him up as one of the guys that, you know, had an, an illustrious career, but never won an NBA championship. But he had one hell of a career, obviously he was drafted 2003. He was the third overall pick, I think. Something yep, like the third. Yeah, third overall pick. Um, and he had a very, very great career. I mean, I grew up watching that era of basketball. Uh, the Nuggets with Melo were just such a fun team. The Billups year, the Iverson year, them going to the Western Conference Finals, facing Kobe, uh, <laughs> countless, countless game winners from Melo, the J.R. Smith days with him, and you know, th there, there's a lot of like childhood memories for me watching Melo and enjoying that team. The powder blue jerseys are, mm -hmm. are iconic jerseys. So I can't say anything but the fact that this man is a legend uh, when it comes to thing. He's going to go down first ballot Hall of Famer. Just to kind of recap everything that he's done in his career. He's ninth all time in scoring. Uh, he obviously won an NCAA championship with Syracuse in 2003. Won the most out outstanding player of the final four that year. Freshman player of the year, his numbers retired at Syracuse. Um, and then in the NBA, he went on to be a 10-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA, one-time scoring champion, all-rookie team. He played for playoff teams on the Nuggets, the Knicks, the Thunder. There, there's, there's really, there's a lot there to enjoy from Carmelo. And I know that there's going to be such a massive conversation about like, oh, he never won a ring. How great is his legacy really, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I really want to stress that, like, winning is very hard in the NBA. It's so like, hard. It's, you it, have to have so many things go right. So many so things many. shake your way. Uh, and on top of that, you need to be on teams that are willing to invest and willing to get you to that point. He really had his best chance against the Nuggets when he was at his heyday, when he was in his prime, when he was with the Nuggets and they went out uh, facing off against the Lakers. That was probably his best opportunity to ever win an NBA title. They fell short of that. But does that make him any less of a player? Does that make him you know, not as great? I think that's an unfair way to look at things because of how hard it is. You look at the Charles Barkleys of the world, the Steve Nashes of the world, the John Stocktons, Carmelones, although those guys, whatever. Um, you look at these guys who haven't won rings and I don't think you can take away anything from their career because of the fact that they haven't been NBA champions. Anything you'd like to say on the mellow front? Yeah. I mean, I completely 
echo and agree with with the when you're talking about a legacy you can't just okay rings yes or no how many like it's you can't that cannot be one uh, or the biggest factor i think when when kind of um talking about someone's someone's legacy i mean Melo is ninth in all-time scoring i think a lot yeah. of people think about oh he never won the ring denver new york there were a lot of years in new york where they were good but maybe not there were questions about how far they could go but when you think about the offensive talent and just how special mellow was i mean you can never take that away and so yeah. um i think uh it's it's i tweeted it earlier but it is sad when when somebody officially hangs it up uh but you know you never know what's next for mellow he's got a he's got a son out there who's 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 working so you just never yeah. know you never know what's next do you have like a a favorite moment from mellow by yes, any chance any any I like do. career moment oh do you yeah <sighs> I do because I remember it so clearly. He had a buzzer beater over Dallas uh, that I remember he was on the right wing free throw extended and he just absolutely, and it was like one of those plays where it's right at the end of the game and you you just know Melo's getting the ball and you know what's going in. As soon as the shot went up, it was like the slowest thing I've ever seen. And of course it went in, of course we lost. Um, but, and that one hurt. I remember that one hurting, but yeah. it was, it was the glory days of the powder blue, powder blue jerseys. And it just was what it was. Yeah. I, yeah, I look, there's, there's a lot of uh, memories that I can bring up with Melo. Obviously the 2000 and like the Western conference finals run with Kobe, him oh, versus yeah. Kobe. I mean, you can go and watch those highlights. Genuinely some of the most fun basketball highlights that you can pull up. But there's also like the 62 in the garden. Uh, mm -hmm. He had this crazy game against the Bulls in the playoffs where he was just going shot for shot for shot. Um, there's a lot of incredible moments to Melo's career. And like, I think that should be cherished. It should yep. be appreciated. He is an all-time legend. He's going to go down. I, I really hope the Nuggets uh, retire his jersey. This is a side note on this because obviously things didn't shake out the way they wanted it to in Mel in Denver. He didn't leave on the best of terms, but I really do hope that Denver is, you know, good enough to be able to retire his jersey because that 15 powder blue is like, is one of the most iconic jerseys of all time. People were wearing it like crazy. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. So, okay. One more final news note. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reported that it is Nick Nurse, Kenny Atkinson, and Adrian Griffin, Raptors ass assistant coach Adrian Griffin, mm -hmm. who are the three finalists for the Bucks job. Um, yes. Very interesting because Nurse versus Griffin, going for the same job, funny. But uh, I think ultimately it's going to go to Nurse. Yeah. I, it I, but he also did mention that Nurse is being considered for the Suns gig and the Sixers gig. So I imagine he has his pick of the litter. It's like, who do you want to coach? Do you want to coach Giannis for, you know, the rest of his prime? Or do you want to coach Embiid for the rest of his prime? I know Nurse and Embiid have, been, have butted heads a bunch. <laughs> uh, you, do you want to coach KD and Booker for the rest right. of their primes? So it's interesting. Uh, I think Nurse probably has his pick at this point, like which way he would like to go. I don't know what's going to happen, but I would imagine that Milwaukee ends up being the place that he goes. Where do you see that happen? I tend to kind of say say the same. I feel like Monty is just destined for Philadelphia, so I don't I don't really see the Nick Nurse. I could be completely wrong. This is very hard for me to predict, but that just doesn't seem like the best fit for me. So to me, it's between Milwaukee and Phoenix. And again, 
not a whole lot to go off of. But for me, I just think he would gravitate more towards a uh, Milwaukee, Giannis, that kind of system. To me, that fits more his his style, his style than yeah, than yeah. like this Phoenix team that has lots of questions with Aiton, Chris Paul's contract. You mm-hmm. never know the stability of like a just absolutely superstar loaded roster. Um, so to me, Milwaukee just makes the most sense for Nurse. Yeah, I, I I think Nurse probably ends up heading to Milwaukee as well. Uh, although I wouldn't be surprised if Milwaukee just goes a different direction. Let's say yeah. Kenny Atkinson really you know wins them over. Maybe even Adrian Griffin wins them over. But we'll see what happens, ladies and gentlemen. It is always a fun time in the NBA. Tweeted this out a little bit, but uh, a little bit ago. But the NBA final starts June first. The possible game seven would be on June eighteenth. The NBA draft is four days after that. And then free agency is seven days after the draft. And then Never summer, league, summer league is seven days after the first day of free agency. Never a dull day in the NBA. Uh, it just, that's how it goes. It's a, it's a 12 month league. You're going to be watching the basketball. You're going to be enjoying the off season news. You're going to be enjoying the NBA draft and you can do it all here at the objective basketball podcast. Lauren, any final words before we head out? No, I think uh, we touched on it all. Okay, cool. Thank you very much for tapping into the Objective Basketball Podcast from Lauren, from myself. Have a good one. We'll see you later. Follow hosts at Just S. Barahini on all socials and at the Lauren Gun on Twitter. The Objective Basketball Podcast. Delivering the NBA to you like no other.